Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases every week. We are recording this podcast on July 1st, 2020, and as our producer just said, woohoo, we made it through half of the year, which is actually pretty monumental. I'm Anna Garcia, and our guest today is Luis Bolaños. Luis is a former homicide detective, also worked for the DEA, and now runs his own private investigation firm which works on high profile cases around the nation in fact lewis you're on call today to testify so we may be interrupted in the middle of this and another case which you've been involved with has breaking news here in california it's a major break welcome to the program lewis good morning anna thanks for having me yeah it's been a crazy week um and we're just starting so we'll see (laughs) i love your attitude lewis Uh, So these are the two stories that we have, and one of them involves you. There's a teenager who has been charged with killing her sexual abuser. She's been released on bond, and that bond was actually raised with the help of the community. They bailed her out. But first, three people have been arrested in connection with the disappearance of a Coachella Valley couple who vanished more than three years ago. There is a huge break in the case here in California. Three men have been arrested and charged with their murders. They are being arraigned today at the time of this recording. The couple from the Coachella Valley were last seen three years ago in 2017, 28-year-old Jonathan Reynoso and 26-year-old Audrey Moran. Now, at a news conference yesterday, which Lewis and I were both watching and taking notes, the Riverside County Sheriff said that this was indeed a double homicide case, even though their bodies have not been found. Here's what the sheriff said. We have found remains. Uh, We thought we would be able to get uh, DNA results back before the press conference. We have not done that. So right now we are still waiting on uh, the results of the DNA testing to confirm that it is them. However, uh, the investigation that led us to the remains uh, indicate that, that we did find them. So, Lewis, apparently their remains, including additional evidence, were found at two homes, which they searched. Investigators say that they served 50 search warrants and received hundreds of tips. And here's where this 
case takes a crazy tangent. You actually received one of the tips, even though you were not officially working on the case. How did this happen? Correct. Correct. Well, Anna, as you know, better than anybody, we get a lot involved in a lot of cases and a lot of cases uh, and worked in law enforcement uh, just isn't working for whatever reason, whether it's justified or unjustified. And we get contacted by people who want to remain anonymous for the mere fact that they're not comfortable contacting law enforcement for whatever reason, again, whether it's justified or unjustified. In this case, back in late uh, January of this year, we received, I received an email from an anonymous individual from a few different sites um, that, and I don't know if it was one person, a, a few people, who knows, male, female, I have no idea, but I knew um, they wanted to remain anonymous. Now, and, Lewis, I'm going to interrupt you because mm -hmm. what's interesting is the reason they found you is you were interviewed on a television news program right. giving you know, your opinion on why you thought this was a very suspicious disappearance and not your typical disappearance case. Right. And that's the only reason they found me and they're able to pick me out as a person of potential contact. And that's because of the work of a very, very tenacious uh, investigative reporter in the desert, uh, Kitty Alvarado. Kitty has an incredible, incredible reputation in that valley for taking on cases that really pull at the heartstring and getting the community involved. She's phenomenal at it. She has a huge following. Um, so she asked me to appear on a couple of segments to talk about this case. So that's how we got involved. Uh, that person, persons, they felt comfortable emailing us with the information because of the work and the passion that Kitty Alvarado put into this case. So Lewis, what's interesting about those emails, it's a series of emails and interactions between you and the tipster. And what you couldn't know in real time starting back in January of this right. year and what we know now this week is this person was spot on about the fact that they were dead, that um, you likely would not find their bodies, but you might find remains and also spot on about the locations and right. a, and then, you know, I, I we can't really get into motive because the police have not specifically said, but there was a little tinge of that in there. Right, right. He, she had a ton of insights just like that, that we, can be, we are keeping close to the chest. And I want to say probably within a few days of getting that information, because it seemed uh, it, it just something that you couldn't let sit stagnant. We passed it on uh, uh, to the sheriff's department, to the correct individuals over there. And to this day, I don't know if they did anything with it or not. Who knows? Uh, but the results are, are, you see what's in the pudding here. They, they actually confirmed yesterday in the press conference that most of the information, if not all, was accurate. That's uh, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. When I saw the dates and the back and forth, I was like, wow, this person was spot on, had the information. And what's interesting also is that that person, your tipster, really confirmed when they said yesterday, you know, the, the hundreds of tips and the search warrants, it, he, that person got into more detail, which I know you're not comfortable sharing, obviously, but right. it's interesting how many people were called in to interview and that the names that the person used as the potential suspects, again, accurate. Correct. Um, Correct. So, so let's go back and tell everyone a little bit more about this case now that they understand your involvement and how back in January, six months ago, 
you pretty much had the information as to what had happened to this couple, where their remains were, and what was going on. So we're going to go back three years now and piece this together. Audrey and Jonathan were last seen and or heard from on May 10th of 2017. So Audrey was on her way to pick up her boyfriend, who supposedly was returning from a trip with his buddies to Brawley. Now, for those of you who don't know, Brawley, California is not exactly the place one goes to for a vacation. <laughs> it's just not that kind of place. So, um, and there's some speculation that he may have not even gone to Brawley with his buddies. We're really not sure. And also, police never named who those people were. Very interesting. So, Jonathan didn't drive. I don't know if it's that he didn't have a car and didn't know how to drive or just didn't have a car, but the bottom line was that Audrey was going to go pick him up from some location and then take him to his home in Palm Desert. That was the whole plan. Audrey last saw her sister at her sister's house in Coachella. She stopped by her sister's about... 8, 8.45, and then, she, John, and then Audrey left her sister's house to go get Jonathan. Later that night, a text is sent from Audrey's phone to her sister, and it's a photo of Audrey and Jonathan, and it looks like a selfie. It's the two of them, and the sister just thought that it was a photo sent that night, but the police later determined, Lewis, that photo was not taken that night. That metadata, it'll get you every time. Uh, they have a catch team at the sheriff's department that's their computer uh, forensic team. They're incredibly talented at what they do. So I think a lot of this case is going to be put together with the tools and the experience of that catch team. Do you believe that that photo was sent by someone trying to cover up this crime rather than sent by, by Audrey herself? Like, why would she do that? Yeah, I think you have to consider that as a strong possibility. Yes, it could have been sent by Audrey or anybody else. We just don't know. But that certainly is one of the uh, first lanes I would look into, that someone sent that to mislead somebody. Now, um, so police determined that that was not sent that night. Soon after the picture was sent, Lewis, her phone was turned off. Now, that's always unusual because whenever you're either going to commit a crime or you're trying to cover up a crime, you want to turn off your phone so no one can figure out where you traveled. Right. That's and kind we, of weird, right? And we, Young people don't turn before. off their phones. Yeah. Absolutely true. We've seen that before in many other cases when, again, where they're trying to hide a, a, a path, a direction of travel. And the way Audrey's phone was shut off was an anomaly. It's just something she had never done before. That was the first time that ever happened in that, in that fashion. So it really sticks out. Well, not really, Suppose when you compare this to what Jonathan did. Jonathan's last communication was a comment on Instagram. Um, he said something like, I'm dying, but not because he was dying. He was referring to a funny um, Instagram post, and then his phone was turned off. Again, it's, uh, it's yeah, that's a flag. That's mm -hmm. a flag. Another flag. So here we go again, right. So Jonathan's family is not sure that he went to Brawley because they say they found a pizza box at his house that seemed like it had been a recent delivery. So the question is, did Jonathan order that pizza and he was home or did somebody else order that pizza? So that's another thing that, that came up during the first 48 hours of the investigation. Right. And I do know that uh, law enforcement went and contacted the person that delivered that pizza. And? This, uh, we don't know the results of that. That would be a great question to get answered. I'm sure they already have. They know who opened that door and received that pizza. Uh -huh. Interesting. So that happened late Wednesday night. 
Thursday, no one is hearing from Audrey. Her family is panicking and they, you know, they give it like 24 hours and then they call the cops on Friday. Friday, what the cops do is they engage that OnStar system in Audrey's SUV, which leads them to her vehicle. Okay, now her SUV is found 45 minutes away from where she was supposed to be on the side of a highway in Beaumont, California. Right. And I, just hindsight's always twenty twenty. A Monday morning quarterback's a very comfortable seat. But imagine if they would have engaged that OnStar days earlier. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the the um, detectives then took some bloodhounds out there. There they picked up some scent near the vehicle and about twenty yards out. But then they lost the scent. So had that occurred closer to the time of well they're not using the term abduction so i'll just say the crime it's very possible they could have had more information so clearly at this point you know and the other problem with these missing persons case lewis is that initially police always take these things as a missing persons case meaning okay they're young adults they're in love what if they took off i mean that's possible right so let's talk about two things i want to talk about the bloodhound and the missing person angle the, the Riverside County Sheriff's Department has one of the best bloodhound units in the nation. They're phenomenal at working with bloodhounds. So when they say that bloodhound tracked a scent for 50 feet and that scent disappeared, that's consistent with somebody getting into another vehicle and leaving. It wasn't 50 feet into the desert. It was 50 feet that was consistent with somebody getting in another vehicle and leaving it there. That means a lot. That That's, that's, that's a huge, huge uh potential lead that that vehicle was dumped there for some reason. So when I first was asked to start taking a look at this case, I found a flyer for uh, Jonathan and Audrey, a missing flyer that was on the state attorney's website, uh, indicating that both Jonathan and Audrey were voluntarily missing as one of the categories. And to be voluntarily missing is just that. It's not illegal. It's not against the law to decide to become missing and go off on your own and not tell anybody where you are. It took them a long time to remove that and change it to missing. Well, that was probably what more than a year, because uh, over a I year mean, this is yes. right because this is a three-year case, right? And you know, there were all sorts of rumors and speculation that the two had taken off and that they were you know running away together, um, right. which leads me to believe that maybe the authorities didn't take it as seriously at that time. I'm not blaming them on this one, right? What do you, know, you do with that? Or should I blame them? I, you know, no, I, you know, it's, it's hard. <laughs> Don't want to go there yet. Here's what I do know. I know that Sheriff Chad Bianco and the DA Mike Hestron are excellent at what they do in running an investigation. Okay, can I have to say something, though, in all fairness to our viewers and listeners, you used to work at the Riverside County Sheriff's Department, and you used to work at the Riverside County DA's office. Correct. And I have a history of not saying what I just said all the time. I haven't been able to say that about the current people that spearhead those, those departments in the past, just my personal opinion. With these two, and I've never worked under them in that capacity. So I don't have that type of association with them. My opinion is from the private sector. 
they're really good at what they do. And I'm really impressed with how they spearhead these investigations. Um, okay. So um, now let's get back to the, to the mm -hmm. vehicle. Um, this could be why they were just treated as regular missing persons. Although who abandons a vehicle on the side of the freeway? That to well, me not, is too suspicious. Not, not just a regular missing person, a missing, a voluntarily missing person. Right. Well, that's right. okay. Right. But I'm thinking maybe they missed the ball on this one because who just abandons their vehicle on the side of the road? Right. Especially when the vehicle is working. Yeah. And um, authorities said that there are no signs of forced entry, no struggle, no blood. This was according to the Indio police because that was their jurisdiction and the car, the SUV was perfectly functioning. So why leave the vehicle on the side of the highway as opposed to leaving that, leaving the vehicle in a parking lot? It's what do you think, Lewis? Well, I think it's part of a bigger plan to help mislead the investigators. They wanted it found and they wanted to give it to, they wanted to give the impression that they were heading in a certain direction. Um, so uh, that's what I think. Uh, it was intentional to leave it to, to continue their game plan. Friends and family said at the time that really there were no indications that there were any problems with these two as individuals or as a couple. They had recently started dating. There were no obvious red flags. Um, and the other thing police said at the time, and they still believe this without uh, elaborating, is they're not really sure that Jonathan and Audrey ever made it to Jonathan's house. We don't know. So after their initial disappearance, there were candlelight vigils, there were fundraisers, there were flyers put up everywhere across the Southwest and the Western states. Um, they also made bracelets with their names on them. They raised money, um, through a GoFundMe account, but the money was specific. They were only trying to raise $10,000, which they did. And once, once they reached that threshold, they stopped raising money. And it was specifically to raise money for a reward for a tip. And then as the years went by, obviously the families are still trying to keep this, you know, foremost in people's minds in case it jogs somebody's memory. And this I find so amazing. So um, Jonathan's mother posted on Facebook, of course, how much she missed her son, that she wanted him to come home. And she wrote this and she wrote this a while ago. She said, 2020 is the year. This is the year he comes home. And I'm afraid she was right, but not the way she wanted him to come home based on what the authorities said yesterday about the remains. Oh, so something changed a few weeks ago. Authorities said something changed and they won't tell us what. Right. Um, on Saturday, the Riverside County Sheriff's Department announced new information that led to the arrest of three men. Two of them were already incarcerated on other unrelated crimes. So these are the charges and these are the suspects. Manuel uh, Rios, 28 years old of Coachella, is charged with two counts of murder. Abraham Fragoso, 32 of Indio, is charged with one count of murder and one count of killing a witness. And according to the DA yesterday, he let it slip. He said, Audrey was the witness. That means she saw something. And my question to you, Lewis, is was she there possibly, we don't know, when Jonathan was killed or did she stumble upon it and that's why she had to be killed? I don't know. What we do know is that uh, the suspects in this felt that she was a major threat uh, to their potential incarceration. And they felt that was the only way out. Wow. And then Jesus Rios, Jr., 41 of Stockton, is charged with two counts of accessory after the murder. What do you think happened there? He helped cover up? Possibly. If uh, the, There's so many things you can do with remains to help dispose of them. 
uh, it, it, who knows what he participated in, but he asked to help cover it up after the fact. He participated in hiding that crime. The authorities say that the couple, the, the murdered couple now, and the alleged killers somehow knew each other. Now, there were all sorts of rumors over the last three years that this could possibly have involved drugs or a drug deal gone bad. We do know that the suspects who are charged have, some of them have previous drug charges, but we don't know anything about Audrey and Jonathan being connected in any way to drugs. Right. And I think that I think the sheriff's department is absolutely aware of what caused that. I think that's going to come out eventually. They're hanging on to that for a reason right now. Um, whether Jonathan or Audrey, but either one of them were involved in some type of criminal activity intentionally or was aware of, uh, of criminal activity. Uh, it could be the driving force behind the motive. It could be. And, and we don't know the motive yet. The authorities Correct. have not said, you know, what what possibly um could have caused them to kill this couple. Right. So the um, two of the suspects actually lived and shared a house. And that is one of the houses that was searched. There were two properties that were searched and the yards were dug up, presumably looking for remains and evidence. Right. Right. Um, you know, like I said, there's criminal history involved here. Um, Abraham Fragoso was already in a prison um, he had been charged in 2019 on an unrelated assault with a deadly weapon and with drug charges. Um, and Rios had been already behind bars and he had been incarcerated since February 5th on a gun and drug charges. Common denominator here, drug charges, violence. Guns and drugs. And Guns hand. and drugs, yes. Um, so what we don't know is the deeper relationship here. And we do not know the motive, but it's amazing that three years later, it's a horrible, horrible ending. But at least the families know right. what happened know. to Audrey and Jonathan. Yeah. As I was watching the press conference yesterday, I was hoping somebody would ask if the sheriff's departments believe that they were outstanding suspects. They didn't say yes or no. They didn't say they felt they had everybody in custody. So I'm hoping that as this story continues to get more attention nationally, that if anybody else has more information on this, that they will call the sheriff's department to share uh, whatever they know that could help with the prosecution and, and point law enforcement in the right direction. Or they could just call you, Lewis. They can. They're more than welcome to. Uh, if they feel more comfortable, we're here. Okay. All right. We certainly will be keeping everyone updated on that case as to why they were murdered and more of the details of how and when they were murdered. Lewis, our second case is disturbing on so many levels. A young woman in Milwaukee who stands accused of killing her alleged sex trafficker and abuser is out on bail, a $400,000 bail, because the community raised the money to get her out while she awaits trial. 19-year-old Crystal Kaiser is charged with first-degree murder and arson. Now, she was 17 years old in June of 2018 when she allegedly shot a man who appeared to be pimping her out to other child abusers, and she wasn't the only one that he was allegedly doing this with. She shot him twice in the head. Then she set the house on fire, and she took off in his BMW, according to police. Crystal was 16 
when she met 33-year-old Randy Villar in the fall of 2017. Randy Villar preyed on underage black girls. That was what he was into. He liked to videotape sex with them. This is with his victims. He not only had a lot of child porn, he made his own child porn. And this is all information that we have gotten from the police. And police say that they found at least a dozen victims in addition to Crystal. Correct. They met on a trafficking website, which is no longer in existence. Crystal reportedly admitted saying she wanted extra money. She was having trouble at home and someone suggested this website. She went on there. She connected with Randy and she, and this is a story that she told to the Washington Post reporter. And it's a wonderfully detailed story because he visited her or she visited him. Um, excuse me. The visits went on um, several times and that that's when Crystal told a lot of the details. So Crystal said that at first uh, he was very nice and very complimentary and that he would take her out on dates and that uh, he would order her steaks and that he would buy her gifts, even gave her a little heart locket. What is he doing here? He's grooming her. He's absolutely grooming her for his in initial intention. Uh, and that's that's part of the course in these type of trafficking cases. He spotted her. He was a predator. Uh, that website, I really don't want to mention the name of it because it doesn't exist anymore, was famous and I think was ultimately responsible for that reason, underlayer, dark layer that they had at, at those type of that type of advertisement. And that the trafficking industry used that site more than any other site. So, and he took her shopping and he bought her clothes, right. let her drive his cars, as you said, building, trust. building trust and grooming her, right? right? Now, she, of course, said that she knew at some point, right, they were going to be having sex. That was the whole point. But the fact was he was so nice to her, right? So it wasn't right. just about that. It's that he cared about her. Sure, he cared about her so much that he abused her. And then he sold her as a prostitute to other men because there were all these room keys that the authorities found in his house. And he would set up um, these encounters for Crystal and the other girls he had through that website and right. other like-minded creepy people right. would show up. And then he'd split some of the money. I don't, can't even say split. He would share some of the money with the girls that he was pimping out. Right. Oh, it's just disgusting. Now, Crystal said that she didn't want to do it anymore. She did it for a while. She didn't want to do it anymore, but he kept threatening her. So the relationship now is changing from buying you sweet things to I'm controlling you and you're going to do as I say, and you're going to make money for me. And you're also, you know, going to let me get off on you, really. Correct. So um, this part of the story, uh, for me, gets a little fuzzy here. It's about how Crystal ended up at his house that night. She says that she had a fight with her boyfriend and that she contacted Randy. Randy ordered an Uber to go pick her up and, and take her back to his house. Now, if he's the creepy guy that's bothering me, I don't think I would turn to him. But then again, this is all part of that mental anguish that the abuser uses to control their victims as if come to me, baby, because I'm going to save you. Correct. And that probably is not the first time that she had a, 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 an incident or an event where the only comfort or safety she felt she could find was reaching out to Villar. So um, 
she goes to his house and they watch TV, they eat pizza, they get high. And then she says that he starts um, attacking her, trying to have uh, sexually assaulting her and she doesn't want it. So she fights back and she shoots him in the head. Right. She, actually, she, she actually, I actually read that uh, he had straddled her on the ground and was trying to remove her pants prior to right. those two shots. Shot him twice in the head. Yes. And then she sets the house on fire and she takes off in his BMW. And this is where the authorities say that it was really premeditated because she had the gun with her when she went over there. She had planned to do this the whole time is what they said. Now, the authorities are not denying that he abused her and that she was traumatized by him. That does not seem to be in dispute at all. What is in dispute is whether it was um, a crime that happened because she was defending herself, which is what she says, or whether it was premeditated. She went there with the intention of killing him. Right. Uh, apparently, she had told her boyfriend uh, uh, of the problem she was having with Millar. And her boyfriend had given her that handgun previously and said, you need to start carrying this to protect yourself. So that's allegedly how it came into her possession, not to kill somebody that night specifically uh, premeditated. So I, I don't know. Uh, the DA is claiming that that's where he's the basis of his uh, uh, premeditated homicide is coming. So the first degree, which carries a life sentence, uh, it's, it's a big thing here. And I, uh, versus um, in the heat of in the heat of passion, or uh, where I think she's looking at a, a lesser degree charge, where she's looking at fifteen years versus life. Now she says that she took the car because he had promised her on her eighteenth birthday that he was going to give her a car. That was her justification. That's what she said. Right. Now after the fire, because police responded immediately to the fire, and that's when they found all these hotel room keys, and then they uh, they found the credit card statement for the uber so then the cops track down the uber driver and the uber driver tells the cops oh yeah i dropped off a petite black girl um and her name was crystal so cops immediately are already and there's a backstory we're gonna tell everybody about how this guy was already under investigation as a sexual mm -hmm. predator and how the system completely failed Absolutely. We're going to get to that in a second. Right. But I, I want to set up the crystal part of this, and then we're going to give you the backstory and the context as to why this is such, such a complex case as far as fault here. Um, so she takes off in his car, and then at 3 a.m., she posts a selfie. And the selfie, the curtains in the back match Randy's house. Okay, so that puts her there at the scene of the crime. Then... A few days later, she goes on Facebook and she's streaming live and she's telling everyone that she gave her brother a BMW mm. car, car that was stolen from the scene. And right. then she's showing off the gun. Right. Back to that selfie, uh, that catch team metadata on that selfie show that picture was taken after uh, Mr. Villar's deceased body was located. So got to love those catch teams. Yep. So... Uh, the next morning, the police arrest her at her boyfriend's house, and ultimately, she admits to police. She gives them various stories, but she ultimately admits to police that she did kill Randy because she was defending herself, and bail was set at $1 million for her. Now, prosecutors, again, say that it was absolutely premeditated. So that is Crystal's version, right? 
of how she met him, how she got involved, and what happened. Now let's take a look at the abuser and how police let this serial sex abuser get away from them. Because this, to me, is an equally heinous crime, the fact that the cops let him go. All right, let's go back in time to February 2018, four months before Randy is murdered. A 15-year-old girl calls 911, and she tells the 911 operator that a man has given her drugs, that he's going to kill her, and then the girl hangs up. So, of course, the police know where the phone call came from, and they go to the house. When, dis when, when the cops get to the house, they find a woman walking outside. Now, when I say a woman, I'm using that loosely. She's 15 years old. She's walking outside. She's wearing a bra and a jacket over her bra and isn't zipped up. It is February in the greater Milwaukee area. That is freaking cold. Cold, okay? So... She, the, the cops talk to her. She tells them, according to the police report, that she met him through this website, the very same website where he met Crystal. And of course, it's a prostitution website, a trafficking website. And as you said, it's been shut down. The girl said that she met him when she was 14 years old, that he paid her $250 for sex the first time. And then each time afterwards, it was $100. The girl had run away from home and she had moved in with Randy. And the police said in the report that the girl was identified and described as prostituting herself as if, Lewis, it was all her fault. And they're just dealing with a runaway prostitute. And let's not bother. Right. Let's not bother the, the, the man in the house. Right. Okay. Right. So, victim blaming. I mean, we hear that all the time. Victim blaming. But when it comes to law enforcement, it, it hurts more. Oh, yeah. Well, especially when you realize what in the world was going on there. Now, I will say right. this. The police did go back, right? They right. went back with a search warrant and they did arrest him and they removed uh, computers, laptops, uh, memory cards, hard drives from the house. So right. that was the right thing to do. And that is, you're talking about the February 2018? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. it's in interesting, the DA, because he was getting so much flack because they released Bowler. They did they not released keep, him. They absolutely That's released him. And he got so much flack. The DA felt it necessary. They had to post something on social media to address that. I want to read you the small glimpse of uh, what he posted. As district attorney, I cannot condone vigilante justice. And when presented with evidence of premeditated murder, I do not believe it is appropriate for prosecutors to weigh the value of the victim's life. I don't understand the statement. <laughs> which, who's, so, there are so many victims here. Who's, whose life, who's, which victim are we placing a value on? First of all, all human life has value. Absolutely. There, there, there's absolutely no question there. And no, no one is supporting vigilante justice. However, I'm sorry, the police and the prosecutors do not have clean hands here. They do not have clean hands here because they let him walk out the door after being arrested. They did not set any form of bail. They just said, just come back for a court right. date. Who does that? that? Who does that when you have a 15-year-old girl walking around half naked, you know, and, and she tells the cops that he found her on that website. Right. Uh, uh, what right. more do you need? Yeah, you know, we, we see this way too often in these type of investigations where in this DA Gravely, 
perish the same thing we've heard many other times is that they didn't make the arrest because they were trying to put together a better case. Well, they wanted the case to stick. This okay, I hear you. They said that they had to go through yeah. what was on the computers and they had to try and identify the girls. No one is arguing that they had to do more work and do the forensics. But what is absolutely clear is he was arrested and no bail was set. Absolutely. I'll take it a step further than that. In February of 2018, when they found those videos and those pictures of underage girls, one of them being uh, Crystal, Crystal, Crystal uh, they had more than enough to affect an arrest and keep this man in custody at that point. They knew he was a predator and yet he had multiple victims who were underage. They had more than enough to keep him in custody. Right. They didn't need they didn't need to know at that very moment yeah. exactly who every girl was. They, all they needed to know was he was a sexual predator or at least suspected and should be held behind bars away from kids. This DA's out that he tried and he talked about on social media said that his the police referred charges against Volar to his office on May 24th, 2018, 12 days before his death. So by that time, almost four months had passed by. What do they do in those four months to protect the public, any child that was around Volar from being victimized from him again? Any victims during that time frame is on the shoulders of this guy for oh. not taking the action to protect this child and every child he was in contact with. They're we see this too often. They're absolutely responsible without question. I will hear nothing other than that. But I am curious about your perspective because what a lot of people may not know is that you work with an organization uh, we'll continue telling the backstory here, but you may want to let people know what kind of work you do with PAVE and what PAVE is. PAVE is a national uh, organization. It's one of the largest in the nation that deals specifically with uh, uh, victims of sexual assault. And we deal a lot with uh, victims who are underage. We do a lot of work, not just with PAVE on a national level, but with another organization called Children of the Night. Children of the Night has been around for 40 years. And please remind me, I want to make sure there's a link to that in this episode, um, where they are the only organization nationally where you can call 24-7 and they will make sure you're picked up from whatever location you don't want to be at and put you on the path to getting yourself in a safe place and healed. That's their priority. They've been around for 40 plus years and they have saved over 10,000 victims. So mm. they're out there. I don't know if she attempted to make or she was aware of this type of uh, organizations uh, that they exist. Uh, but yeah, so when I hear this kind of stuff, yes, I take it very personal because we deal with it on a daily basis. Um, it's it's very frustrating. It is. It, it really is. And in, in this case, you know, the police had the opportunity to save children and to put a predator away. Now, um, let's go back to the fact that he gets arrested, right? Right. He gets released, no bail whatsoever, and he continues conducting his way of life, which is basically looking for girls underage, had a thing for young black girls. Um, and what is, as the police are going through the videos, you know, at this time period that they say that they were actually going through the videos that were confiscated, uh, on the homemade child porn videos where he is using the girls that he has met on this website that are hanging out at his house or living with him. Uh, apparently you can hear on the videotapes, you can hear him say that he is an escort trainer and that he is instructing the girls on how to be a better prostitute. 
And the authorities themselves say that those girls looked like they were between the ages of 12 and 14 years old. Even though they didn't have IDs on the girls, they could tell by their bodies how old they were. So this, again, I mean, I I, I keep saying it over and over again, but it it just undoes me. So he gets released. He continues doing his dirty deeds. And then by June, he's dead. Crystal has pulled the trigger and shot him and put an end to him. I am not defending her. But what I am saying is that if this happened... You cannot remove the prosecutors and the police from the responsibility of what happened in that house. You absolutely can't. So, Lewis, I want to talk more about Randy, and here's what we know about him. He lived alone in this tiny one-bedroom house. Um, Apparently, once they did the autopsy, they realized he had some missing fingers and toes. He was born that way. One leg was shorter than the other, and he had a lot of money. Police say that they found a bank account with $800,000 in it. And when they talked with bank officials, the bank said to the police, and this is what's so interesting, the bank didn't know that he had been killed, but the bank was getting ready to contact the police or had contacted the police because of suspicious activity in his account. The bank said, right, that was consistent with human trafficking or Mm -hmm. some kind of illegal activity. The bank said that So much money in cash was being moved in and out of his account that at one time it swelled up to $1.5 million. And this is a man who was essentially unemployed. Right. There's a very high probability that Randall was working for somebody else and that move that he was getting part of that money and moving it forward to the person that he was reporting to. Look, uh, sex trafficking is a worldwide multi-billion national, I want to say organization, but organization they the money they make and what they will go to to protect their assets there's nothing they won't do to keep themselves anonymous here so the fear that crystal felt here in dealing with him was well validated uh so uh, you know she carrying a gun to protect herself uh, in case she had a potential run-in with randall I, i completely get it i bet she's still She's in hiding right now, from what I read. She's not. Uh, she's being very careful who she associates with, and that's part of the organization of what they do when they build her out. They're keeping her in a safe place. Um, there's a lot of money at stake here. It's it, yes, and I'm sure that there's plenty of information on all of the computers, the hard drives, the memory. Everything that they confiscated has a lot of information, including the bank can provide a lot of information. Now, the prosecutor said that the reason he had so much money, it's almost as if they're defending him, is that he made a lot of money in cryptocurrency. And that may be possible that he traded cryptocurrency and made money. That's that's very possible. Yeah, I'd like to see his taxes. We'll see how that goes. But the yeah. fact that there's so much money and it's in the bank, the bank got involved, goes to another thing. We say, I've saying it way too often on these cases, right? But it, to me, it just screams the potential of a conflict here. I, I think there's a... Conflict? I'm going to say a crime. Uh, well, not a conflict of interest. I don't know if this DA's office should be investigating this crime. I, I just think they've dropped the ball. They've been inept in the investigation. And now they're in a sort of a self-defense mode, especially that uh, statement I read from the DA himself. And well, let's take it one step further here. Right. Really, l- let's look at this. He is a white man who had a lot of money in the bank. Right. And he, and then these are the stories of young, poor black girls. Absolutely. And I'm sorry, but it appears to me that the judicial system 
took the word of the white man who ends up being the predator in this case and the, and a true criminal against the victims who were young black girls. And that to me is so revolting. And I think that is why he walked out the door and the cops didn't do anything. Right. And that is exactly what needs to be investigated by another yes. agency. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, his father, Randy's father says, you know, his son was a great guy, didn't do anything wrong. You know, I'm sorry that he's lost his son. But take a look at some of these videotapes because those girls are someone's daughters. So I'm sorry. Son, son did do something. And now there's this further complication in her case, which may actually help her in her defense. As a victim of sex trafficking, the state of Wisconsin um, has something that's called the affirmative defense in which if she can establish during the trial that she was being victimized as a victim of sex trafficking at the time that the crime occurred, she may very well be acquitted. But from what I've read, that has never been um tested before in such a serious crime it's usually used in uh, lesser crimes and this is a murder case what what do you think lewis right i think it's the perfect case to test it uh let's 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 use it that's what it's there for and the da is fighting that affirmative defense with the response that it is not an affirmative defense because it was premeditated it's going back to that so he's putting a lot of weight into the fact that he believes this is a premeditated murder um to protect this from being an affirmative defense can someone explain to me why her bail was set at $1 million when I she doesn't have it. the assets to get out anyway, but why $1 million? Right. I, I, would, I don't think that's the, obviously that's not the standard bail for something like this. So there must've been some type of bail enhancement written, a motion to increase her bail. It would be interesting what the DA included in that to, to get that to happen. Yeah, it's really, I've covered um, murder cases in Wisconsin, and I've spent a lot of time at a woman's prison in Fond du Lac. It's one of the major prisons in Wisconsin, working with a young woman who um, killed her parents. She murdered them. She was being abused by them. She admitted um, she took a plea deal, and um, she's going to be serving something like 23 years behind bars. And, and the thing about Wisconsin is, when I was researching that case, one of the captains said to me, you know, you ha you cannot allow, even though you have been a victim, you cannot allow people to kill other people. I'll never forget her quote. She said to me, if we allowed every child who had been abused by a parent to murder their parents, she said, we'd have a lot of dead parents. And that has stuck with me because I understand we're talking about justice. You can't just go around murdering people. I get that. I am not defending Crystal. But what I am saying is what happened to Crystal did not happen um, without so many other factors. So many factors. And the biggest one, the justice system failed. Right? It pretty much left her no choice. Um, because if look, they had removed him then he would not have been able to continue to abuse her. Therefore, right. those two would it have starts, been separated. It starts a very ugly snowball. Uh, absolutely. Uh, there's no return. But you do have the right to defend yourself. Back to that very basic concept. Since she was in the middle of being sexually assaulted, she has the right to use whatever means necessary, reasonable, to defend herself. 
And if it happened as if uh, it was stated that he was on top of her trying to rip her pants down, she was within her rights. Yeah. What a horrible case. We're going to be following this one because it could be a test case for so many others. So we'll see. It is time for our comments section. This is where we feature the crime stories that you all are talking about. And today it is a tragic update on a case that we've been following here at True Crime Daily. Human remains have been found. They have been discovered while searching for the missing Fort Hood soldier, Vanessa Guillen. Now, we do not know for certain that these remains belong to Vanessa. However, an attorney for the family says that the family was told by the military they have reason to believe that it's her and they are now trying to make the confirmation through DNA. Um, What's bizarre about this, Lewis, is, I mean, there's a lot here. She had been missing since April. She had supposedly been called to come in on her day off to go do an inventory of weapons. Her family says that she was being sexually harassed by her superior and that the person who called her in was that very same person. She had not reported the alleged sexual harassment um, to the army because she apparently confided with family and friends that others had and nothing had been done. And so she wasn't going to go there, even though she had told others. When she disappeared in April, her car, her keys, her ID, her wallet, everything was left there at the base. So she just kind of vanished, which is very suspicious. And as I have argued, that military base has surveillance cameras everywhere. You can't just go on and off a base without knowing, right? It just doesn't work that way. So the family is furious with the Army because they say that the Army didn't take this seriously enough and did not react fast enough yeah this we hear is that going back theme. to april that's a very common theme we hear that on almost every sexual assault case we've been highlighting again you make the report to the proper entity and nothing happens you try and try and try but nothing happens you feel quelled you feel like you have no no other way to turn to it's crazy and who's going to be held accountable there do they have something in place trying to report because we've done a few of these a sexual assault on the military base as, a, as somebody in the military, very difficult. Just to get the courage up to do it, it's a whole other issue uh, of difficulty involved. That is, well, mm, this case, frustrating. Is, the, well, not only is this frustrating, it's unbelievably complicated because last week, the authorities found the remains of another soldier from Fort Hood, a man who had been missing, I believe, a year earlier. They found his remains but they wouldn't say and are still not saying what connection, if any, between these two. And now they have found what they think are the remains of Vanessa. And it's kind of in a nearby area near a river. So it's not, I mean, this is not a very big area that we're talking about. Um, The soldier's family is calling for an independent investigation into her disappearance because she they are dissatisfied with the way the military has handled this and the local authorities. And I agree because there have been some um, discrepancies. Like she was apparently uh, registered as, as being present when she wasn't present. And how is it possible that the records were inconsistent or wrong when you're dealing with a missing person? Right. And then as the months go by, things are changing. The stories are changing. And here's the other thing. There's also a report today that 
an individual from the base who was apparently about to be interviewed as part of an, an investigation, which we don't know if it's connected to Vanessa or not, or the or the man who was found dead the week earlier. He killed himself before mm. the authorities got to him. They were on their way to him and he killed himself. So what? Who is he? And what does he have to do with what appears to be Vanessa's death and the other man's death? Right. So I, I, I realize this is just an update on the case. We're going to have right. more on it next week. But we really wanted to tell everyone about this. And, of course, as we've been reporting on this, we've been getting a lot of comments. Our listeners really, really are involved in this case. And, and here are some of the comments. Dorothy V. writes, I'm sorry for whomever this may be, but somebody at Fort Hood knows what happened to this beautiful young lady. Hashtag believe that exclamation point marcy k right i agree, I agree with agree. dorothy she's absolutely absolutely spot on she's right marcy k writes there is something seriously horrible going on on that base command needs to be relieved of duty and the whole thing needs to be shut down until it can be cleaned up i agree with marcy mm. there th this this is a disgrace and you know the only reason that the military started um actually paying attention or being responsive in fact they they the army put out a video last week how many months after she's been missing saying we believe that foul play has occurred with one of our soldiers and we're asking for your information they did this last week really you just woke up and apparently the only reason they did that is because a congresswoman from the area has been all over them oh it infuriates yeah. me and then gonzalez mm. c writes Funny how she enlisted to protect Americans, and this is how America pays her back. SMH, shaking my head. Rest in peace, soldier. Yeah, that's what it feels like, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very, very sorry about this. I mean, we've, these are tragedies involving, today we've had tragedies involving uh, a lot of women in different types of situations, and it's just horrific. Lewis, as always, thank you for your insight um, and how can people reach you, whether they just want to follow you or they need to report a crime to you because for whatever reason they trust you because they believe you will be compassionate and you will, and you will protect them. We will, but thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, we're at getbitinvestigations.com. Our entire social footprint is on there. Uh, so if you need us, we're there for you. Give us a call. All right. Thanks, Louis. Be well. You can always find me at Anna G News on all social media platforms. And as always, you can always find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, on YouTube. And you can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, as we always say, don't do crime.